Are you a physical therapist who wants to pay off your student loans, gain financial independence, and have true autonomy in your work and your life? The best way to do that is to open your own practice. But how? What are the steps that practically guarantee your success? Well, that's what you're about to learn. The Performance Doc Academy podcast is your audio blueprint to opening your very own physical therapy practice. So let's go. Welcome to the Performance Doc Academy podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Dr. Leon Knight. I'm Dr. Carrie Knight. And I'm Dr. Jared Cooper. This podcast is dedicated to helping physical therapists that are out there in the world. They're working for big companies. They're working for the man. They're working in a hospital, whatever it is. And they decided that it's time to go independent. It is time to open your own practice. That is something that the Knights have done. That is something that I have done. And it is way more lucrative. It gives you the freedom. It gives you the time. It gives you the lifestyle that you want. The Performance Doc Academy is designed to get you from point A to point Z, teach you every step of the way. How do you start your practice? How do you grow your practice? How do you get clients? How do you, uh, how do you deliver? And it is specifically designed to help people that want to open a sports-specific type practice, a, a, a practice that is based around working with athletes. That is exactly what the Knights have done with the performance doc, the clinic located in, I always say it wrong. What is it called? Hunters, Huntersville, 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 right? Huntersville, uh, North Carolina. And, uh, and in my practice moment Institute, which was in, in Jersey. And we have finally decided to join forces. Of course, after I moved to North Carolina, just to be close to you guys. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And we're happy to have you here. Yep. And so, uh, so Leon was like, yo, we should do a podcast. I was like, okay, let's do a podcast. And we were like, okay, the podcast has to be about helping people much like the performance doc Academy does by giving them, um, the keys, right. The, the insights that we have gained running our own practices successfully and what worked for us and how can they do it? How can they do it themselves? Right. So today's episode one. So we thought we'd just go through, let you guys know who we are. Um, so that you know who you're listening to and so that you know that you know what we're doing is legit and this this podcast is going to be dope I'm, I'm excited about it so am i i'm ready to rock yeah let's do it you want to go first man oh for sure so uh, a little bit about myself i was a business major and uh, once i graduated i didn't enjoy the finance and sales realm i should say so i i went back to school right around the recession time as I was interested in more of this health and wellness type of uh, field, right? I was doing personal training on the side, even though I was working full time in finance. And I started to realize that my joy came from working with people directly and more on the health and wellness side. So what I did was I uh, took the risk, went back to school, low GPA and everything, <laughs> uh, no guarantee to get into grad school. And I was able to get into grad school and that's where I met Carrie. We uh, <laughs> we hit it off right from the start. <laughs> you and I actually have but, uh, a similar background because I didn't start in anything related to this field either. I I, uh, I studied bioengineering and then uh, switched over to communications. Graduated and worked in film for a year and a half, and then switched majors and became a personal trainer. And that was my foray as well. Which is cool, right? Like I, I wish I would have known, of course, the from the beginning that that would have been my passion and. But nowadays in school, counselors don't help you figure out what you're good at at all. Like it's too many, it just goes by too fast. So uh, it wasn't until I started to realize that I, I enjoyed working with people. I also had a knack for like getting them to follow suit and what I asked them to do, right? And I think that's very key when you're a physical therapist. So 
Once we graduated, I know, first of all, I, I was, I'll take a step back. While in grad school, I was so focused on owning my own practice that I only remembered or learned things that I thought would be practical and helpful <laughs> as a clinician and to own my own practice. So what was said on slide 52 on lesson or, or, or um, lesson number four, I would never remember because it didn't matter. So I would never get like great grades. Like, I would never get A's or be in the top 10. But I was the one that understood what was going on, critically thinking, right? And so I remember being so focused on just only trying to own my own practice that people I, people didn't understand how serious I was about it. So I didn't have many friends, except for Carrie. She, uh, <laughs> she stood around. <laughs> and then from there, we once I went to school, once we graduated, I worked for one year for someone. I was like, this is not it. You only lasted one year? One year. And I had to push him to stay for the year. It was like like pulling teeth. But I was like, man, we're about to get married. Like, can you just hold out just a little bit longer? Were you guys living and, together already? Yeah. yeah it, it was, I would say five months in, I was like, I'm getting ready to leave. So you were and, in the same and, DPT program class, basically. Right. Yeah. Graduated the same class. Yeah. So cute. Mm -hmm. So adorable. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then I think, you know, what, what really brings me to this academy thing is when, when I went out on my own, I studied everyone. So anyone that had a blueprint, anyone that had a full, a, a mastermind group, I did every, I, I tried everything and I was able to get a little bit of information that allowed me to take the next step forward. But no one really had a comprehensive type of pro program that I can follow where you get everything billing how to treat you get um a website design like how, how to market um ads and so forth so i would have to go for go to different people for different things so there was no continuity in one voice that i was listening to and so um you know it took a little bit longer i think to catch you know get my footing and you know get my stride so i'm um, when i when i when we think about this academy it's truly what I wish I would have had going, starting out from day one to go on my own. And that's where this academy comes into play. And I'm excited about it and really happy to have you guys on board to um, really deliver the ultimate service because we all have our strengths, right? And we're going to put all our, each one of us together with our strengths is going to really build out this type of um, program or course that is what everyone is looking for that makes this it's just it's just comprehensive i think that's that's ultimately what i'm trying to say a comprehensive program that take you from a to z what do you think Carrie? for sure i think i'm excited because we've like you said we've trialed a lot of different things along the way um and until we met jared you know we didn't really we didn't really grow like crazy right so we know that he's going to be a big asset here to the performance doc academy because he's actually mentored us in our business yes um, so job. it's really cool to team up with him and do this and bring this to you guys because um, i think it's going to be super helpful to allow you guys to make less mistakes than we all have now, Carrie, how uh, you gotta let them know? You still you don't have a business background. You gotta know. You gotta let them know where you come from in this. Yeah. So, unlike these two, I actually knew what I wanted to do when I was in um, undergrad. So I went in high school. I worked at a physical therapy clinic in the town that I grew up in, um, and we were good family friends with the guy who owned the practice. So I kind of learned a little bit about that, and then. 
I just manifested this life. I said, I'm going to go to PT school. I'm going to meet my husband and we're going to open up our own practice. Wait, and wait, here wait. we are. You manif uh. manifested your husband before you got to PT school? Yeah, I just used to say that and then it really happened. Real. For real, you said yeah. that? This is the first time I heard it, Jerry. <laughs> that makes me think yeah, that she was like, like, she met you and she was like, yeah, he'll do. <laughs> He fits the description like of my that. brain. I'll take it. That was good. Yeah, okay, he wants check, someone to Check practice. that box and move on. <laughs> Did you know that? He says he didn't know. Jared, I didn't know that. That's that's news to me. I'm going to be honest with you. She just never said, you know what? I said that I'm going to meet the man of my dreams in PT school. And I'm, you know what, Leon? I met him. Like, she's never <laughs> said anything like that. <laughs> it's like, uh, what? Serendipitous. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, growing up, my best friend was super smart. Uh, math and science, really more science. And I would always try to follow him around and, and, and he knew everything there was to know about science. I mean, he still does to this day. And uh, he ended up going to Cornell University and he was a year before me. So I was like, oh, he got into Cornell. I got to go to Cornell. So you know, I got pretty good grades, went to Cornell, uh, spent about two years studying uh, bioengineering. And uh, I remember sitting in class and the professor was teaching us how to make canisters that would convert yeast into ethanol for energy. And I remember thinking to myself, I am, are we cursing on this podcast, by the way? You can do whatever you like, Jerry. Okay, thank you. I said, I was bored as fuck, right? And I, <laughs> I, I just hated it. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Uh, I almost flunked out. I took a semester off, came back, switched majors, and I, I decided I wanted to study film. So I studied about two years of film, graduated uh, in, in that sort of department. I had a degree in communications got out, worked in film for about a year and a half and hated it. I mean, it was the worst industry I've ever worked in. It was like, I mean, first of all, film in New York City, it's like all you do is smoke cigarettes and hang out at the craft services table and you're up until three in the morning. It's like lifestyle was just crap. You know, I mean, I was completely unhealthy at that point in time. But uh, I've been doing martial arts for, for years, ever since I was eight years old. And so um, I started teaching some martial arts at that time. I taught in college as well. And... Uh, I just hated what I was doing, and a, and a, and a, I got a job at, a, at an internet company. And this was in, in right right before two thousand. I got a job at an internet company, and uh, I thought maybe I'd shoot films for this internet company, kind of like the way the world is now, where people shooting content. But this was before Instagram, this was before like YouTube got big. You know, it's like this is just people had websites, right? And uh, this company hired me, and about two weeks after this company hired me, the tech bubble burst. And that company went under. So now I was jobless. So I started calling all the other companies I interviewed with and all of them had gone under. And I was mm -hmm. like, shit, what the hell am I going to do now? I'm in New York City. I can't afford my rent. And a family friends said, why don't you try personal training? You know, you like teaching martial arts. And so I had no idea how to do anything. I mean, I personal training. I was like, I, I don't know. I've never stepped foot in a gym. I don't know how to lift weights. I don't know how to, I, I didn't know anything. I just knew, I just knew movement. I knew martial arts. I knew how to get people into a horse stance. I knew how to throw a straight punch. I knew how to angle a block. I, I knew how to use leverage. Like I knew how to move and I know how to teach movement, but I didn't know anything about lifting weights. And so uh, I said, fuck it. I called up this guy named Mike Bailey, who was the uh, director of the 86th Street uh, Sports, uh, New York Sports Club, one of the busiest gyms in all of New York City. And I called him up on the phone. I told him the story I just told you. And I was like, you know, listen, I know how to move. I know how to teach, but I, I just... I don't know how to pump iron, but I can learn. And uh, he hired me over the phone. Didn't, that was it. So <laughs> went in and I didn't know what I was doing. 
Um, so I started asking all the bodybuilders, you know, at the time bodybuilding was real big, right? So I asked all the bodybuilders, you know, how do you do a bench press? How do you do a squat? You know, how do you do a lunge? This, that, and the other. And I was learning some good stuff and some really bad habits. And I picked up my first client was this chick who was in the, uh, in like the yoga studio and she was trying to kick a heavy bag and she was doing it really badly. And I kind of walked over. I was like, listen, can I show you how to do that the right way? And I had like my personal training shirt on. So she and I work for the business. I was like, I try to do that the right way so you can burn some more calories and not hurt yourself. And she was like, sure. And I taught her kickboxing. And that was my first client. She bought a 20 pack. And I was like, all right, that was pretty cool. Like, you know, yes. I just, I sold my services and my expertise. I was like, all right, I kind of, I kind of dig that. So I started to pick it up more people, more people. At first I was doing boxing and kickboxing with people. But then as I started to learn more about, you know, lifting weights and everything, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to kind of do what the personal trainers do. So I started to get busier and busier. And then I started to go to conferences. I went to perform better conferences. And I can't remember what the other mm -hmm. ones were called. And that's when I was introduced to Paul Check and uh, the Check Institute. I don't know if you know him, but uh, he's he was um, big back in the day when Greg Cook and Gary Gray and Mike Boyle, Gary, yeah. all these guys okay. were doing all this stuff. You know, and this was when the concept of, of, of functional training, it, it, it had not caught on yet. And uh, as the story goes, this is before I met my wife, of course, I was dating this girl from Germany and she was a fitness instructor. She was, uh, she taught everything, she taught step aerobics and um, she worked for New York sports club as well. And I went up to her and I, I said, uh, her name was Morel. I said, Morel, I've got this amazing idea for this new kind of pers personal training. I said, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna get people to like, you know, grab bands. I'm gonna have them go through movements like punching movements and this kind of movement and twisting and this, that, and the other. And it's kind of like martial arts mixed with resistance. Right. Not knowing that, you know, remember, functional training wasn't a thing. And she looked at me and she gave me like the best advice and the worst advice I ever got. She goes, no, 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 no. Don't do that. She goes, you stick with curls and squats. You know, like she's like, learn the basics. Right. So that's how I started out. But then when I got to Paul Check, Paul Check was teaching exactly what it is that I said that I wanted to do. He's like teaching people these cool movements that were like they look like animals. They look like people doing sports and they had resistance and it was. And I was like, holy crap, this is pretty cool. So I started going down that rabbit hole, going into more conferences, learning more. And I started to understand this concept of corrective exercise and how important it was. And be, being a martial artist, it's all about balance, you know, especially with Tai Chi. It's about balance, balance. You have to have balance energy. And, you, you know, so the concept of finding balance in the human body was pretty cool to me. And so I, I started to study that more and more and then started to specialize in this concept of corrective exercise of finding out where the imbalances are and adjusting those imbalances before you start loading somebody up. Cause I've saw too many people getting injured in the gym, just trying to get in shape. Um, so I started to become known in New York sports club as like the guy that worked with people with injuries. And so if anybody had anything that was bothering them, they would send them to me and I wouldn't try to fix the injury. I would just figure out a way to balance the system, work around the injury so they can get in shape despite the fact that they had something going on. You know, it could be chronic stuff, even like RA, like just figuring it right. out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got pretty busy. I, I became the highest paid trainer at the highest grossing gym in all of New York City. Like I had more sessions than anybody. And I was like, okay, this is awesome. But I'm still working for this big company making peanuts, just making them a bunch <laughs> of money. So why don't I do this independently? So that's when I started to open my first business. So I rented space at first. And then eventually I realized I was paying more in rent than I really wanted to. So I just opened my first business and that was called a tune holistic fitness. That was on the upper, upper East side. 
And I had a business partner back then. I was also teaching group fitness. I started teaching uh, boxing and kickboxing. I was teaching strength training, stretch. Then I had a signature class called Eastern Sculpt, which was basically like a functional strength training class in like a Zen monastery. I had like Buddha bar music. It was like, it was, it was super cool. It got picked up on the news. It was in all sorts of newspapers. I got featured on television for it. Um, so that was all really cool. And when I opened up a tune, we sort of leveraged that. And I started developing all of the training programs for our trainers. And I started um, doing all of the assessments and writing the design for all the, the new, new, new uh, clients that came in. And the concept behind this, this clinic was this clinic, this, this um, studio was that it was a holistic place. So you'd come in and you wouldn't just get personal training. You'd also get massage, acupuncture, some wellness coaching, some nutrition, all under the same thing. You'd buy a package of like 10 sessions and you can use them on any of the services you want. And I would do all the assessments. And at that point in time, I read the most pivotal book I ever read in my career, which was Florence Kendall's Muscles Testing and Function. And yeah. I don't know if you ever had that as a, as no, a textbook a, in school. That but, was a staple in school, mm -hmm. yes. Right, yeah. So when I read that as a trainer and, and Kendall went through exactly how to do all the muscle tests, mobility tests, and really find exactly what it is, where the weaknesses were. I started developing sort of, I guess, my own version of a muscle testing system and a mobility system, put that into an assessment system that we then utilized and it worked extremely well. So everything was going really, really well. I was super happy. We were getting more and more successful in the studio. We were getting more clients and customers and I was getting really, really good at what I was doing. And uh, then I was about to teach my Eastern Sculpt class one night. And this was at Sports Club LA, which is a really posh gym in New York Sports Club uh, in, uh, in New York um, near Times Square. And Eastern Sculpt is a very difficult class. There's a lot of stuff on one foot. There's a lot of body weight stuff. There's a lot of slow controlled motions. And this woman comes out to me before the class or the class was always packed. And uh, she kind of gets me here. She goes, um, listen, can I, take, can I take your class? I was like, uh, I don't know, like, what's going on? She goes, well, I have a hip problem and I'm not really sure if your class is going to be good for me. And I looked at her and I said, well, if you want, I can assess your hip, you know, not with the intention of diagnosing, it's just figuring out, you know, like what's weak, what's, you know, what's, what's, what's strong, what's, what's, what's not moving and maybe write a program for it. I said, I'll assess your hip and then I can let you know whether my class is good for you or not. She looked at me with like this sort of like super annoyed expression on her face and she goes, well, thank you, but it's been already been looked at by a doctor. And it was in that moment that I realized she was right. I had no real letters after my name. And mm. it was literally in that moment that I realized I had to go back to school. And so 10 years after graduating from college and after owning my own business and having a good personal training career and group business career, I dropped everything and sold my business and went to USC in California to get my doctorate because this woman basically made me feel like, <laughs> like a PO. <laughs> what year did you go back to um, grad school? Uh, 2008. I want to say okay. 2008, if I have it right. So right around the recession time. Yeah. So yeah. I, at the time, my wife and I were living in a basement apartment in Brooklyn. That was so disgusting. I just have to describe it for you. We had um, wood, wood paneling, a drop ceiling, cement floors in one of the closets was the sewer system that would overflow once a month and Roto-Rooter would have to come down with their thing and snake it oh, out. No. <laughs> now like oh. sh liquid shit in the apartment. The other, the other room had her uncle's old suitcases and that room was filled with black mold. And the kitchen was split so that the sink 
and the refrigerator and the stove were in different rooms. So like, <laughs> this is where we were living at the time. I would say, I don't know if I'd call it rock bottom because, you know, that's, that's, but it was, it was pretty bad. And um, none of my credits counted because I was 10 years out of school. So I had right. to go back and do another year of undergrad at Brooklyn Tech and get like another semester of biophysics, chem. And so we were living there working and I was doing that all at the same time. Eventually it all worked out, you know, we moved out to California and I remember being in my DPT program and just hating every minute of it. <laughs> almost, well, it sounds like you already like basically were a PT, like you, you taught yourself. I and was then hating probably it. Yeah. with all these young kids, like just like, man, I, I am so over this. I know how you feel, man. I know how you feel. You know? I went back to school when I was 27, 27, no, 28. And same yeah. idea. Yeah, it's like you have a different perspective, number one. Number two is I kept asking the question, why? Right. You know, you need to do this. I'd be like, I raised my hand like a dick. And I'd be like, why? And they'd be like, well, <laughs> because it works. Or, you know, because you just, or, the, or I love the answer. We just got to try it out on Monday and see if it works for you. I'm like, that's not an answer. <laughs> you know, and then, and then the, the, of course, the quintessential answer they would say, you, you'd ask the question like, you know, why would you do it that way? Or when would, or when would you do that technique? Or with who? And the answer would be what? It depends, right? It depends. How many times did your right. professor say yeah. it depends, right? Yeah. So it's an easy I, way to not be right, not a, be wrong. Exactly. So um, I actually have a, I had a sweatshirt made up that says "fuck it depends on it." <laughs> 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 I hated that phrase so much. Um, anyway, but I would then ask them, "What does it depend on?" And that ultimately <laughs> is the question that they couldn't answer, right? What does it depend on? Okay. So I go through the the, the program. I'm kind of like one of these people where I just have to get like great grades. Like it's just, it bothers me when I, you know what it's I mean? Andy, like, right? so, yeah, okay. I just, I, I killed myself. I really shouldn't have. Um, and I, I, I graduated at the top of the class, but I hated every second of it. And <laughs> primarily because there was no system, you know, you're just learning this stuff. You know, there's this thing called evidence and there's this thing called experience and, they don't really meet anywhere. There's no system tying it all together. Okay, we'll put a pin in that for a second because I'm going to get back to it. So I graduate, we move. Uh, oh, my wife was pregnant, by the way, at the time. Um, and uh, she gave birth almost a couple of weeks after I graduated. The moment she gave birth, she was like, we're moving back to New Jersey. <laughs> I didn't really have a say in the matter, right? And uh, I, I, I'm a New Yorker. Um, I'm born and raised in New York. My family's in New York. She's born and raised in Jersey. So we kind of drew two circles, right? Where they intersected. We found a place to live, which is close to close to home. I uh, got a job at one of these mills. I was seeing like, you know, three patients an hour, four patients an hour. They promised me I wouldn't, but I did. And uh, I remember I'm working on, I'm working on this guy, I'm working on this guy's ankle. And I had three other patients in the clinic somewhere in the clinic. I had no idea where they were. They were doing exercise and I'm working on the ankle and I look up and I realized I can't see any of them. And I thought to myself, holy shit, one of them could be dead. AIDS like <laughs> tripping over their dead corpse. I wouldn't even know it. And at that moment I was like, this is not how you deliver care. Like this sucks. And I was probably six to eight months um, after graduating. I thought I'd open my own practice, but I thought it was going to take five years. I didn't last six to eight months. I was like, I got to open my own thing. So I started that process and um, I started the process of like, of building the space out. I didn't quit right okay. away because I didn't, I needed an income. 
I started to build the space out. Turns out the company that I was working for had a, had a location around the corner, right? Which I knew. And their front desk person walked by and saw me inside my clinic, like setting up. <laughs> so they were like, what the hell is he doing? That person told their boyfriend and their boyfriend pretended to be a patient and walked in the door and started asking me questions to spy on me. <laughs> And oh, I, took, wow. I took pictures, <laughs> took pictures. And then my boss called me and he was like, so you're opening your own practice, huh? And then he fired oh, me. And that was that. <laughs> so I got fired, which is fine. And uh, <laughs> opened up Moment Physical Therapy. It was Moment Institute, then we changed the name. Started with just a couple people and then, uh, and then grew it to a seven-figure practice a couple years later. Started hiring people to work underneath me. Um, everything's all well and good. But I realized at some point in time that I still needed to teach what I was doing. And that's where I started to develop a system for teaching um, what it is that I was sort of, I guess, doing naturally. Not naturally, but the, 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 what was going on in my the like... process in my head, the, the same process that you probably go through in your head. In fact, most experienced clinicians use a very similar process in their head when they're making decisions. But most newbies have no clue what that process is. So I decided to put that process on paper. And that's where Physio Secrets was born. And that's where the Physio Frameworks were born. And so I started to develop content. I started to teach courses. I started the Physio Mission podcast at that time. I started writing the book, The Physio Frameworks, which should be coming out this year, God willing. And the, the Physio Frameworks is all about the simple system that tells you what to do and why to do it. Answers the question, what does it depend on? So that it... it puts in writing the answer to that question. So you're now like, you know, you graduate from school, how many techniques do you know? You know, like I'd say a hundred techniques. How many can you apply at once? Only one. One, right. You need a system to go from those hundred to one. So what do most people do? They go take Con Ed. Okay, well, which number gets bigger? The hundred. Well, now they know a thousand techniques. How many can they apply at yeah. once? One. So for me, it's about the funnel the, the mechanism inside the funnel that lets you go from a thousand techniques to one technique. And so that's, that's essentially where my, where my passion is at. And then in 2020 to fast forward, uh, we sold the practice and moved to uh, North Carolina. And now we live in a tiny home debt-free and I'm super happy with it. And that's where, <laughs> that's when you called me and you were like, dude, I'm doing this thing. And I had been coaching you guys for a while um, on building your practice and you started out in a essentially in, in in someone else's facility, right? Renting, and now you got this amazing facility. You guys are doing such amazing work. You doubled or tripled the size of your practice, which is awesome. And so I'm I'm really excited to be part of the Formstock Academy because I know that this education and this knowledge is absolutely lacking in the industry. And I feel like people are going to get a ton out of the combined expertise of the three of us giving them essentially a roadmap and a blueprint for how to get this done. So that was long winded, but that's my, that's my backstory. Yeah. And I, and I think uh, it was great to hear that. And as I was listening to your conversation, as, as I was listening to your story, what I thought about was for, for those that don't have the, you know, like the courage to just go out on their own, they usually have something holding them back. And oftentimes it's the, the fear of the unknown. And so what we're trying to do now is say, okay, look, let's, let me show you, or in our way, bring you along to what you're going to actually experience. So 
when you don't know, when you, when you come in and trying to start your own practice, you don't know what you don't know. So oftentimes those are mistakes that really can hurt your business before it even really takes off. And so those that are thinking about starting their own practice and don't have the dog in them just to do it and just say, you know what, I'm going to learn along the way and just if I make a mistake, whatever, those that are cautious about that, you're going to need some guidance. And I think it's very key to find someone who, someone or a course or some type of blueprint that helps you make those calculated steps so you limit your mistakes and really advance and grow your practice sooner rather than later. There are times where I think, man, if I would have known this, if I would have linked up with Jared before um, before I did this, I would have been even further along than I am now. And that's what we're trying to do is eliminate as, eliminate as many uh, miscellaneous steps that you can make along the way so that you can get to where you want to be a lot sooner. Yeah, 100%. I would say that I probably wasted, I want to say fifty dollars to $100,000 over the course mm. of 10, of 10 years. I mean, I, I, w- I would say that you're probably going to get up there as well. Like just think about all the, all the, I mean, you just told me that you spent some money, right. On some, on, on uh, an editor for an Instagram post, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it just all, all adds up. It all adds you're up. Right. I mean, like you make a couple of those mistakes and you make a couple more then you, then you hire, you hire a, a marketer and you, you spend five ten, and then you turn around and you're like, holy crap, that was, that was a lot of money, but you make a lot more. I mean, when you open a private yeah. practice, I mean, I, I paid off my student loan in two years after we opened the practice. And that was uh, 200 grand or something like that. I mean, like it, yeah. it's, it's huge. The difference. I mean, like you can buy a house, you can buy your cars, you can raise a kid. I mean, there's no doubt that owning your own practice is the only way to financial freedom in our industry. I mean, what, if, what do clinicians make these days in North Carolina, 65 and New Jersey, like 75, 80, like, God, to pay off 300 grand in student debt. I mean, this, it doesn't even compare. You got to pay your, you got to pay off your, you got to pay your car, you got to pay your rent, you know, you got to buy food. At the end of the day, it's like peanuts left over to pay off your student loans. Right. Owning your own practice really, I think, is the key to financial freedom. And more of us should be doing it. Just like in the Cairo world, man. I mean, how many, how many Cairo practices do you see are these conglomerates, these big companies? Like none of them. They all you are. Don't. Mm-hmm. No. And they have the they have the mindset already. They must teach it in school. Whereas you're going to be your own boss, your, create your own practice. That's the way to go. And I think, unfortunately, you don't we don't get that a lot in physical therapy school, or very little at all in terms of the entrepreneurial side of things. And I think fortunate for me, I I, I was already introduced to the business world. Like I, my my. Um, Uncle was an entrepreneur in St. Louis, and then I just was very interested in what I, being an entrepreneur, whether it was a product or a service that I was going to sell. I just didn't know what it was until I came across physical therapy. It was like, this service is going to be the foundation of my business, right? And then, and then it all, then it took off. But, you know, just going into this whole, and just giving a little more background in regards to how the performance doc clinic really evolved when i first started then you know when you think about money that you spent and may have wasted i'm thinking about i started out with a different name movement solutions i had clothes apparel everything with that right first of all and of course i used what did i tell you to do with it you gotta toss it you gotta change it throw it away right and you're just looking at like all the money you spend and time but uh, i think 
all the different stages in which the 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 business have um, went through, really, people don't understand that what they see on Instagram now, six years in, was a lot of work to develop. And we're fortunate enough to not make the crucial mistakes that can really tank a business, right? And um, it was, but when I look back at it, it really, I highlight what were the influential people and what were the big time steps we took to really propel our business. And it, what it comes down to is these systems, right? When I worked with um, mentors and coaches, they had systems, they had specialties. And those are what really drove our practice to get to where it needed to be. And to be honest with you, one of the big best things that um, I was told, one of the best one of the best pieces of advice that I was told was, "Hey, you don't have a business," and, I, and it really took me. I never forget this. It, it took me, um, like it just took me by heart, or it just it really it really stuck with me. I was like, "What do you mean you don't have a business?" He said, "Well, this was a coach." He said, "Well, because if you don't work, you don't make money," and so my mentality of what a business was. Well, more was more of I just don't have a boss, but his mentality was, you don't have income coming in regardless of if you work, and that yeah. that that was the next step for me to say okay, a cash based practice. It was cute, right? I got a chance to show that <laughs> I can <laughs> I can be my own boss, work on being the guy. Right, but it was very. It was a small package. Like I, I was wrapped in a small package. I wasn't really creating an imprint or or developing any type of true impact in the community. It was all individual. And then when he made that statement, I thought bigger picture. How do I grow this uh, practice? And for that, from then on, it was more. Every step that I took, every coach that I worked with, was all about how do I exponentially grow and in order to do that people don't understand it is systems systems and even more systems because the framework i'm I'm playing off of jerry's word (laughs) is really what helps you build on build upon because when you do do the right things to grow it's so much easier and seamless to grow without the wheels falling off once you do grow right because if you don't have the systems in place Man, let me tell you, it gets <laughs> ugly quick when you start, <laughs> when you start growing, people. right? Yeah. And so um, these are all the things that I'm so excited to share with the audience and those that have become uh, that join the academy in the future, because we just want to take the guesswork and the mistakes or limit the mistakes as much as possible for you. That's all we wanted to take the guesswork out and limit the mistakes for you. If you really want to um, know exactly what we're going to do for you, that's going to be our focus. Mm-hmm. And I remember when we started working with Jared, he was big on like the end game, like what's your end goal? And we had never, when he was just like a solopreneur and I was working full time for somebody else, it was just like always like, okay, how do we get more patients in the door? Like not really thinking of growth and what we do next. It was just always like, how do we get more people in the door? Um, but I remember when we first, like the first call that Leon ever had with Jared and Jared was asking him all these questions and Leon was like, didn't have any answers. And I was like, yeah, this is the guy we got to work with. Because, like, <laughs> you, you were quiet. Like, you couldn't even come up with the answers. Like, this is good. He's getting you, like, thinking about what's next, you know. 
Um. <laughs> you know, you're right. I usually have the gift of gab, and I didn't have any gab for Jared. Jared was like, bring We, we it. got off the phone. I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah. I was like, we definitely got to work with him. I was like, and I appreciate Whoa. you guys because you are, man, you guys are so willing to get in the dirt and get, you know, and, and, and play and fight and do what you got to do. You know, not every, not everybody's got the entrepreneurial spirit in them and not everybody's willing to face those questions and to really do the internal work to get answers. You know, what do you want? Why are you starting a business? How are you going to get out of the business? What, what do you want it to do for you? I mean, if you don't know that and you're just like, you're fleeing from a situation rather than moving towards right. something, like you're just trying to get out of the pain of seeing 15 patients a day working for somebody else and making not enough money to pay back your student loan. Like if your goal is just to get out of that pain, that will get you so far, but it will not get you what you might consider to be success as a physical therapist. It'll only take you out of pain, but what'll happen is you just introduced a different pain, right? You introduced the pain of being a solopreneur and the pain of getting customers when you don't have any and the pain of having a landlord who needs to get paid and the pain of, you know, all of the stuff that's unanticipated that comes along with, with owning a practice. So I think that what you said is on point that once you have a system to follow, you know, it's like, you know, you hear about us spending money that, uh, on things that maybe didn't work out, but that that's kind of the whole point is that neither of us had anybody that we were following in the footsteps of per right. se. I mean, I certainly did. And I didn't know I had opened up a business before, but not in our domain. And also, you know, I also really wanted to do my own marketing. I really didn't want to farm that out. So I spent, so a lot of that money I spent, I spent learning how to do marketing. I mean, you don't have to just get educated in school. There's so much out there that you can learn from. And I think for me, it paid off. I mean, all those, whatever mistakes you could say were mistakes and were, or just stepping stones, plus the investment in the education now allows me to help other people in a way that I would never have been able to help them if I was just quote unquote doing physical therapy. But if you don't mind, I'm, I'd love to shift gears real quick because you touched on something earlier I just want to get back to, which is people being not knowing what they don't know and being afraid to open their own practice. Let's talk about maybe what you guys think are, if you don't mind, like the top obstacles for what's stopping people from going out on their own right now. You know what I mean? You're listening to this mm -hmm. podcast. You're working for somebody else. You know you want to go on your own. Something is stopping you. Let's let's talk about what those things are. What's that fear? Yeah, I think one is like just financially. People feel like they don't have the money. They're already in so much debt from student loans. Um, so how do you start when you don't have the money? And then then also the next one is when you mention when you don't have nobody to treat because you have no patience yet, right? Like that's yeah. that's the challenge. Because I would say most clinicians that are thinking about starting their own practice, they have a certain level of confidence that they can treat people that were to come to their practice, right? It's a matter of how do you get those patients um, to your practice. So I would definitely say those two stand out. And then one other one that I definitely wrestled with was if I would have wrestled with it even more so if, if Carrie wasn't working was, am I going to make enough money to be able to support this practice? And what I, and, and the question was specific to as this, this being my full-time job, or this is my primary source of income, not 
doing personal training, not doing home health, not doing like all these things just to make up one because you're still not truly happy and you're still not truly independent, right? And right. so that's that's definitely something that I can I can only imagine. At least it was in my from my perspective something that I was thinking about as well. I think there's something else about the money. It's not just the capital investment, that initial money you put down to open and build out your space and buy equipment. It's also that monthly expense, that risk that you take because you've just introduced, I mean, let's say, let's say you rent an apartment somewhere, right? Let's say in Jersey, right? So I had therapists that worked for me. One of them, two of them lived in Jersey city, right? Jersey city is at the highest rents in all of the Northeast right now. They're, so they're renting apartments. If they wanted to go and open their own practice, they have their the rent of their apartment. Now they're just taking on a rent of a space. Even if you rent space in someone else's facility, you still have to pay rent right. on mm-hmm. something, right? So you need equipment. You got to buy that up front, but you also need to pay rent, that monthly expense. And there's other monthly expenses that go along with it too. You need an EMR maybe, right? Now that costs money. You need mm-hmm. insurance. That costs money. And so that monthly expense, I guess the question is, how many, how many patients do I need in order to break even? How do I get to that break even point? And I think that's another fear is like, okay, even if I were able to get a capital investment, then I got to find patients and then I got to get enough patients so that I don't go into debt throughout this entire process. And I think people are definitely afraid of being in the red for any amount of time with it. But I'm going to guess, and I, you're probably a little bit like me in this situation, that you never had a loss a month that you lost money. No. no and no. and we also never went into any debt starting the practice. Right. We never went into any debt. We have no debt at like the Like we started, Nothing. I mean, we started in a gym, so we didn't buy equipment. We just, yeah. uh, we yep. just, and we got them to agree to like very reasonable rate to start. Like let us try. So like there's just ways that you can um, start without spending a ridiculous amount of money and without committing to a long-term lease and things like that. If you're strategic. hundred percent. One of the best pieces of advice I think I got was the concept of staying lean and not overbuying, not getting a space that's too big. Just get something that, that makes sense for you. And I had a, a square, square footage wise. I had, let me say it differently. For the number of patients that we were seeing, I really needed a bigger space. So square footage wise, we stayed small, but that kept the expense small up front. And I decided at some point in time never to actually get a larger space on purpose because I knew if I could run a really lean outfit, I could have my profit up here and I can have my expenses down here. And obviously your net profit really is the difference between those two numbers, your net revenue. So, I mean, that was that was a big deal for me. And you guys started lean as well. You just rented in someone else's practice. So there's ways of starting your business without having to take on an enormous capital investment. But now let's talk about overcoming the fear of not having patience. Yeah, that, to overcome that, I think first you have to have a good network system, right? And, and in order, a network system meaning like the patients that you currently have or at least some relationships that you currently have, you have to really do your best to navigate those in a way that they are beneficial for both, right? So, hey, I'll treat you for, you know, I'll treat you uh, for free as long as you help me get, like, patients. Or it can be, like, just introducing me to people, right? Like, you don't even, it doesn't have to be always just get me patients, but introduce me to people who could end up being future patients or introduce you to a larger body of patients, whether it's coaches or 
like your son's coach and stuff. So to me, marketing starts at the grassroots, which is networking. And sometimes people have difficulty seeing that. They're like, oh, I got to throw up a ton of money into ads. You know, still staying lean, right? Lean is still lean in a way where you're, you're getting in front of the people that can be potentially um, patient, prospective patients, right? And that is getting out there, meeting people, networking. And so that's one way that I think you can get over that fear of like, man, I, how am I going to get at my next patient? without spending a lot of money that I don't have up front. And also when you're new and you have the time, like that's the best time to get out there, you know, go set up a table at races or do seminars for these gyms or, you know, you have all this time because you don't have any patience. So like that's when you really, like now it's, we wish we had more yeah. time to do that stuff to continue bringing more patients in the door, but we don't have as much time because we have so many more patients, you know? Um, so really just getting out there in the community when you have the time, um, it'll bring people in and then word of mouth. Or if you're inside of a gym, then you'll bring people in that way. Um, so there's, there's definitely ways to market that don't involve a lot of money. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that definitely word of mouth, I think is the marketing tool that's very underutilized by the new, the new, the new clinician when they're just starting out. And I think I kind of think about it like a dam. You want to have all this back pressure, right? You want to have, you want to be so inundated with people asking you to treat them outside of your nine to five job that you almost don't have a choice but to open your own practice, right? I mean, if you work nine to five and you, okay, let me say it a different way. You work nine to five and you don't network and you want to open your own practice. Well, what do you do? Well, you go and you, rent a practice, then you think to yourself, how am I going to fill this with people? No, it's the other way around. You're working right. your nine to five, working for a company, what you want to do, that's the time when you want to go out and network separately from the company that you work for. You start yes. going and you're doing workshops, you're going to chamber of commerce meetings, you're meeting your neighbors, you're talking about what you do and you start getting people asking you, oh, hey, can you, can you treat me? Can you treat me? Can you treat me? And rather than bringing those people that you just acquired into your nine to five, you say, well, I'm going to be opening up my own practice soon. Hang tight. And you build all this back pressure of people that want to be working with you. If you do that correctly, the day you open your door, you're not at zero, right? You've got all those people that have almost been waiting for it. And I think that's sort of the key to overcoming the fear is understand that you build the back pressure before you leave, not the other way around. You don't leave and then go try to find people. You build the back pressure and then you leave. That allows you to have sort of that comfort of, Okay, I know I got five or six people that are just waiting in the wings for me to go out on my own. I mean, it's like even now, like I'm, I'm taking a break from treating right now, and I got people asking me all the time, like, "Can I see you?" I'm like, "No." Like, <laughs> so if I wanted to open another practice right now in North Carolina, like you know, somewhere in Flat Rock, I could because I have all these people that keep asking me to treat them. But if you don't, if you didn't network, you wouldn't have those people asking you those questions, and you'd you'd essentially be starting from scratch. So network, the network should always precede the, the, the actual building of the practice, not the other way around. So I love the fact that you brought that up in that way. The network is really the key. And I think even if you're an introvert and you, like, I'm kind of an introvert, I don't really don't like talking to people, you know, like, like I, I get my energy from sitting in a room by myself, but my wife's <laughs> the see. complete opposite. So to see, right? Yeah. You're a freaking introvert. <laughs> I can tell. Like, yes. But I mean, just because you're an introvert doesn't mean that you can't talk to people, right? That's, that's you can't not turn what that it means. on, right? You can turn it on. I turn it on. And now tell me it's not tiring. It's tiring to turn it on, isn't it? 
Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, yes, it I is. agree, right? <laughs> but you can do it. And that's the thing. It's like, even if you're an introvert and you're like, I don't know how to network. It's not about that. It's just about going out, having conversations and just letting people know what you do and, 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 and just asking good questions. You know what I mean? Like yeah, someone most says- people wanna, Most people wanna talk about themselves. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like asking the questions and someone says, yeah, I got a shoulder problem, man. You're a physical therapist. Yeah, my shoulder's bugging you. Just don't be like, oh, like, I'm sorry to hear that. Or you gotta choose you come see me. Don't go right there. Just be like, oh, what's going on? Just ask, right? Cause you want them to start spilling the beans right then and there. So, so, so that you start dropping some knowledge bombs, you can get them to the point where they're like, holy crap, this guy knows what he's talking about, or this girl knows what she's talking about. You right. want them to basically almost have an evaluation on the street. That's really the key, you know? Let them actually feel what it's like to work with you when you're having that conversation. That instantaneously gets them to go, oh man, well, I know this is not the right place to have this. How else can I, can I, can I get in touch with you? Let's, let's work together kind of thing. And then there's all these other strategies. We're coming out with a course right now, right? The Instagram patient generator course. There's other ways of getting people through social media, but in the beginning, it's it's all about it's all about talking to people and getting and getting the referral. I mean, what what do you think is your favorite strategy for getting getting referrals, especially early on? Because you can do a great job and then say goodbye to somebody once you discharge them. That's not very helpful for building your business unless you right. can get them to go talk. So how do you, what, what, did, what do you think is the, the keys early on that will help people overcome this fear of knowing how to build their practice, knowing how to build word, word of mouth is the key. What in your mind is the way to build the word of mouth? That's a great question. I think um, sometimes, and I used to do this um, or used to make this mistake. I used to ask for the referral at the, once I'm getting ready to discharge them. So I never planted any seeds throughout their plan of care of, do you have like, do you have any brothers, sisters? Do you have any family members? Like kind of what sort what group of people you hang with? Is it golf buddies? Is it tennis club? Like I, I ne you never like, I never probed enough. And so when they were discharged, and by the way, if you know anybody that I can help, just let me know. They're like, ah, oh, okay. It wasn't, <laughs> the seed wasn't planted seven times at least. So they think, oh, next time I see Bob, it's going to strike. It's going to hit me in the, it's gonna hit me that I need to mention Leon, right? That I go to Leon or so forth, right? And so I think when it comes to getting these referrals from people that you currently have, right? You have to develop these relationships and truly understand who they are, what 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 are their hobbies, what type, what the group of friends or people they like to hang out with, so you can understand how they can potentially be a walking billboard for you, or at least the gatekeeper for you to meet other people that you can help. So um, really foster your relationships of the current patients. Don't always think I need new patients to treat a new patient. Foster your current patients in order for them to help refer you to people who can become new patients. I think that's what people don't realize. For sure. Yeah. I think sometimes, like like you said, like it's about asking, but not just asking when, when they're discharged, because then then it just looks like that, right? Like, oh, getting rid of you. Who else can I bring in here? <laughs> but like, really, like you said, are they a tennis player? Like, who, um, who do they know that would need physical therapy? Because then we've done, you know, when we find out that someone is a tennis player at a certain golf club, then we're like, oh yeah, tell the trainers about us there. And then when we go there to market, they've already heard of us too, because um, the patients have brought our name up to them. So that's helpful. When a patient is in physical therapy, 
if you think about yourself when you're in treatment by somebody, for example, uh, whoever that could be, a, a shrink or a, um, you know, um, a, a chiro or, or a dermatologist or whatever, you're, you're, you're seeing someone on a regular basis for whatever reason, that experience becomes part of your routine, right? You put in your schedule physical therapy, Mondays and Wednesdays for at three o'clock mm -hmm. or whatever it is, right? It becomes part of your life. Once you discharge a patient and they remove you from their schedule, you're no longer in their brain on a daily basis, right? Everybody knows mm -hmm. if you're seeing, you're seeing Dr. Leon, you're thinking about Dr. Leon. You're like, you, when you're out playing golf, you're like, oh, my back feels better, Dr. Leon. Or you're like walking around, your foot hurts. You're like, damn, I got to mention this to Dr. Leon, right? It's, it's top of mind right. all the time, right? <laughs> right. But the moment you discharge somebody, that goes away. Not entirely, but it fades. So when you ask for the referral early on in the treatment process, every single week, that person is being reminded of you. And so the referral stays top of mind. When you ask them at the very end, and then they don't see you again, not only do they forget to get the referral, they forget about you as a, as a whole. And so that's why I think asking for that referral earlier on in the process is really the trick. And I have asked for it as early as on the initial evaluation, when people after getting an eval by me would say, that was the most complete exam I have ever had by anyone ever. And I understand this problem way better than I ever thought I would. Something like that. And you're like, ooh, that was a good outcome you know, of, mm -hmm. of an exam. Yeah. There's no harm in saying, oh, that that's awesome. Listen, and you have to be honest. I'm a new practice. I'm trying to grow this practice. And I, I'd love for you to, to if you if you don't mind, help me out by just sharing your experience that you had with me with some with some of your friends and family. That's really all you're asking for. You're not saying right. can you because people get, I think, really gun shy about the concept of asking for a referral. Because I think what people think a referral is, is that the person is going out there and they're doing your sales and marketing for you. And so people don't want to ask other people to do that, right? Because it feels like you're imposing on them to, to, to give out your card or whatever. But that's not really what a good referral is. A good referral is when your patient either just sings your praises and doesn't ask for anything or tells their story or their experience to somebody else, which is really just no different than sharing. That's all you're asking them to do is just share their experience. Because naturally when they share their experience, the other person goes, oh, you know what? What's their name again? And they want to know mm -hmm. more information about you. So if if you're if you're apprehensive about asking potential patients or patients for referral, don't ask them to get you business. Ask them to share their experience. And that really helps to alleviate that feeling that you're asking that you're asking too much of another human. You know what I mean? I think I think that that's helpful. So we covered um essentially how to start your practice monetarily. We've covered just introducing the concept of how to get patients. I mean, you and I both have a ton more strategies that we're going to be talking about on this podcast and in the Academy. So, but we're just, we just wanted to give you all a taste today. And there's a lot more to share and we're here to share it with you, right? Um, we are here as a resource to, to share these nuggets. So eventually you feel more confident either to ask us questions or more confident just to do your own thing. So we're pushing for you guys to become entrepreneurs and, and in any capacity that we can help. This is what the podcast is here for. And we have other things in store to make the transition even easier for you. So stay tuned, guys. We can't wait to share the rest of it with you. 
And we will see you guys in the next episode where we're going to start going deep into these concepts. And essentially, if you have any interest whatsoever in starting your own practice, this is absolutely the podcast for you. We can't wait to share more with you guys and we will see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to the Performance Doc Academy podcast. Make sure to head over to www.performancedocacademy.com where you can learn everything that you need to know about how to start, grow, and eventually sell your very own physical therapy practice. We are going to teach you step by step. It is all of the information and knowledge that we wish that we had when we started out in our own practices. And this is going to save you thousands and thousands of dollars in mistakes. Head over to www.performancedocacademy.com. We'll see you there.